Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. Let's pray one more time before we consider this passage together. Living God, would you help us to hear your holy word this morning? so that we can truly understand. And God, when we understand, may we believe. And when we believe, may we follow you in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks, Jeff, for reading that rather extensive passage this morning. And what a strange way for us to begin our Advent series, The Women of the Christ Child. So why are we talking about this story? So this is just after Israel has been set free from slavery in Egypt. God has just waged war on Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt and delivered and redeemed his people out. They've crossed through the Red Sea. They almost made it to the Promised Land, but because of their unbelief, they had to wander around in a desert for 40 years That generation is gone. Moses is gone. Now Joshua is in charge of the people of Israel. They've moved into the land and they are starting to inhabit the land that God has given them. Starting to kick out all of the evil nations that have defiled the land. And it's a beautiful picture of Rahab and the safety and the wonderful like rescue that she gets. But still, why are we talking about this story as our first in an Advent series. So there's three times that Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament. You've got this story in Joshua, and then three times in the New Testament that Rahab shows up. And the first mention gives us our connection to why we're talking about her this morning. It's from Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1 starts out like this, the opening of the New Testament. So the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, who was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, the father of Ram, the father of Amminadab, the father of Nashon, hang with me, the father of Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, the father of Jesse, the father of David the king. You skip all the way to the end of that genealogy. The husband of Mary was Joseph, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. So in this genealogy of the Christ, there are five women mentioned. Only four women are mentioned by name in this genealogy. Out of all of the ladies that could have been mentioned, only four by name here. And Rahab, the great-great-grandmother of King David, is one of those women that's mentioned. So this can't just be by coincidence. It's not just an interesting fact for the genealogy here. There's got to be a point. This must be significant. So here is our point this morning. It's going to pop up behind me. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you right at the very beginning. Here's the point. If you don't come to God like Rahab does, then you don't come at all. 
you don't come to God like Rahab, then you don't come at all. There's three points we're going to walk through. We'll look at Rahab's identity, Rahab's faith, and Rahab's works. So let's look at point number one, Rahab's identity. So how does this woman living in Jericho even end up in Jesus's genealogy? I mean, Rahab has everything going against her. So why would we not leave this woman out of the genealogy? She's a Gentile. She's not an Israelite. She is not of God's people. She has no power of her own to affect much of her life, but certainly the lives of the people around her. She's not an influencer. She doesn't have a great following that's going to do what she wants. Her entire city is about to be wiped out. All of her people, save her family, are about to be gone. She lives in a wicked nation. These are the nations that elsewhere in the Old Testament, God tells us that they sacrifice their children to their false gods. So why is this woman from this evil nation brought into God's family? She is in Jesus' family tree by name. So what does this tell us about our Savior? Charles Spurgeon, an old English preacher, said this about this text. It shows us that our King has come to break down the wall between insiders and outsiders. Jesus is akin to the fallen and to the lowly, and he will show his love even to the poorest and to the most obscure. I, too, may have a part in him. So Rahab has every earthly reason to be left out of the family of God, but her circumstances are overruled by God claiming her to be a part of his people. Her circumstances in Jericho, in her family, among this people, are all overruled by God claiming her to be in his family, a part of his people. So why were the spies sent into Jericho at all? Like Israel doesn't need them to win the battle. These spies are sent in with a purpose from God that they don't even know about. Because God saves and goes after and calls his people from wherever they are. Even in the middle of an enemy and an evil nation, God goes after and calls his people to himself. So remember this morning, if you don't come to God like Rahab does, then you don't come at all. So nobody has the right to be in the family of God. It's God that knows you. It's God that seeks you out. It's God that rescues you. God brings you in. If you think you belong in the family of God because of your status, then you're not in God's family. But there's good news. Just like you can't be included because of things that you have done in God's family, you also aren't unsavable either. You're not unsavable. You're not unable to be brought into God's family, no matter your earthly identity or how much of an other, a them, you are. No matter your job or your past, 
or your failures or your sin problems or your family situation, you can be given a new heavenly identity, a place at God's table included in his family tree. Notice that in Matthew, this is the only time in the entire Bible, Old Testament and New, that Rahab is not referred to as Rahab the prostitute. In Matthew, it's just Rahab. She's a new identity in Christ that is greater than her identity in the world. Her old life is gone. You too can have a new identity in Christ, but you must come like Rahab does. So how does Rahab come? Point number two, let's look at Rahab's faith. Rahab's faith. So listen to Hebrews 11. This is the second mention of Rahab in the New Testament. Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So according to Hebrews, what saves Rahab? What gives her a new identity? It's her faith. So one commentator even noted about Rahab's faith that Rahab is the first faithful person that we find in the promised land. She is living there before Israel shows up and establishes their kingdom. So before God brings his people in, there is already one faithful woman living in this land. So if we look back at Joshua 2, starting in verse 9, listen to this amazing declaration of faith by this Gentile woman. Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Your God. So what leads to Rahab's faith? This is interesting. How does Rahab come to faith? How was Rahab evangelized? What outreach event did Rahab attend? Who was it that befriended Rahab and walked with her through a difficult situation? What sermon or what podcast was she listening to that brought her to ask all of these questions? It's none of these. There's no women's ministry event that she goes to. None of this brought her to Christ. So what does? She hears the Lord. She hears of the Lord. That's what Romans 10 says, right? Faith comes by hearing. So she hears of the Lord. She hears what Israel does to the two kings. So that's God working through his people. And after hearing this, Rahab and everyone else there has two options. So they hear of God's acts. You have two responses. Number one, 
You can stand up strong, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, rally everyone together, and fight with all of your might, just like Sihon and Og did. In a brave heart style, you can take our lives, but you can never take our freedom. And things don't go well. It's complete destruction for those two city-states that have taken option number one before them. Complete destruction. They're standing on their own abilities, their own merits, their own strength in front of the creator God of the whole universe. And there's complete destruction there. That's option one. Option two, you can fling yourself at God's feet for mercy and for deliverance. And that's what Rahab does. In verse 13, she says, Promise that you will save alive my father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. That's her only hope in this situation, is to completely fling herself before these people of God, before God himself, knowing who he is, like she has heard, knowing what he does for his people, what she has heard, knowing what he does to those who are not his people, what she has heard, and asking for deliverance. Her only hope is to beg for his mercy. She can't stand on her own. There's no hope that she can have in anyone or anything else. It's only by grace that she could possibly stand before this God. And this is a really interesting response from Rahab. Notice that she's not just asking for her own safety. Immediately it's, save my father, my mother, brothers, sisters, all of their families. So here you have this unmarried daughter of shame saving the entire family. And isn't that what God likes to do? To use unlikely people as sources of redemption for families. So she immediately is given a sign of sorts of her inclusion into this family. A scarlet cord, a red rope is tied on her window. And that will keep her safe from the destruction when Israel returns You're surely supposed to see a Passover link here where the blood of a lamb was smeared over the door of a house so that when destruction came over Egypt, you were in the house, you were spared. And so Rahab doesn't perish with the rest of Jericho because of her faith. So if you don't come to God like Rahab, you can't come at all. When she hears What God has done, she welcomes his people into her life, and her faith leads to her acting. So let's look at, lastly, point three, Rahab's works. Rahab's works. So listen to James 3. This is Rahab's third, final appearance in the New Testament. Third appearance is in James 2. Verse 21 says, Was not Abraham your father justified by works? when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. 
Faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So Rahab has faith. She hears God. She believes he is Lord above all in heaven and on earth. She flings herself at the feet of his people for deliverance. And then using James's language here, Rahab completes her faith by her works of helping the Israelite spies to escape. Her faith leads to action. It isn't the actions themselves that save Rahab. Remember, nothing that you do can earn your place in God's family. Even rescuing two of God's people, your good works are never good enough. Rahab's faith alone brings her into God's family. But saving faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by fruit. So she's not proving her faith to God here. God already knows her more fully than anyone else. She's proving her faith to herself by her works. She's being used as an instrument of God so that he can speak through her actions, just like God spoke through the Israelites' actions to her. And look at the result. Not only Rahab is saved, but her entire extended family. What a witness her actions are to them. They're not only saved out of Jericho, they're saved into Israel. Rahab is saved into a new family. She's saved into the family tree of Christ. And this is another small glimpse that we get of Abraham's promise being fulfilled that all of the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Even in the Old Testament, God is bringing in outsiders into his family. So Rahab's work leads to salvation for her family. So we'll close with this, just to remind you that there is a greater rescuer that we remember coming to us this time of year. Rahab's works point us to one greater work. God himself on Christmas takes upon himself human flesh, leaves the comforts of the throne room of heaven, and comes to earth to seek and to save his people who were living under the control of an enemy, of evil powers. And just like the spies found an unlikely source of redemption in Rahab, so too is this tiny baby that's born in a feeding trough, an unlikely rescuer. 
Listen to what Isaiah 53 says about him. It says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But just like Israel came to Jericho two times, once with a small force of spies, and the second time as the mighty army of the Lord to conquer and to set right what was wrong in the land, so too will this greater rescuer, Jesus, come again to set all things right. We live now in the in-between time, between Jesus' two comings. There is still time now to make peace with God, to fling yourself down at his feet, to ask for his deliverance, to be received and given a new identity, a new family, a place at the table. But there will not always be that opportunity. The Lord Jesus came once in humility. He will come again in power to judge the living and the dead. So just like Rahab, we also have two options. You can stand on your own strength, on your own merits, and be totally destroyed. Or you can plead for deliverance from the Lord, who is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. So please, Trinity, come to Christ like Rahab. So there's our first woman of the Christ child in our Advent series, Rahab, a most unlikely woman called by name in Jesus' family tree. So Trinity, do you bear the weight of a dark and shameful past? Do your former sins still taunt you with the lie that surely you must be a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. God is not ashamed to be called your God. Those are not my words. Those are God's words from Hebrews 11. God is not ashamed to be called Rahab's God. Is not ashamed to be called your God. You are a trophy of his glorious grace, of tidings of comfort and joy. Pray with me. God, we pray that you would come, thou long expected Jesus, born to set your people free from our fears and sins. Release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Father God, would you help us to see and understand and hold fast to your love that you have loved us with. God, help us to see the links that you have gone to to redeem and to rescue your children. God, help us to know that deeply this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.